This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian-owned and local. Phone 131 806. Welcome to Homestyle with Shana Blades. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today. And welcome to episode two of Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne. That's Red Energy. Shana, welcome to the show. Ah, this is so much fun. I'm loving it. Thank you. <laughs> My name's Jane Neild. I am a podcast producer and I have the pleasure of sitting in the studio with Shana and asking all of those questions. I usually only get to yell at the television when I watch you on Selling Houses <laughs> Australia. Of course, you're the designer on Selling Houses Australia, a TV presenter, judge on the block and your own interior design company. We did speak in episode one about how COVID-19 had forced you to take a little bit of a break. Is life slowly starting to gear up for you, Shana? Have the clients been calling again as we start to kind of get out of what has been a couple of months of lockdown for many people? Look, I'm trying to sort of see what the best analogy is, is the fact that like people are poking their head out of their cave, and just sort <laughs> of tip, tipping the toe. And then also people are just sort of like coming straight out the door and just going, I'm ready. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, look, I have been getting inquiries and it, it is one of those things where you just go, oh, I'm not really sure. I, I, I don't want to go in too quickly. <laughs> um, but, but I think people are starting to – it is interesting, I, I think, some of the inquiries in the, in the fact that people – which we discussed last week, have realised that their house just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, that the house that they thought that they loved when they only walked in at 7 o'clock at night after yeah. a long day in the office just doesn't quite cut it. <laughs> yeah, so I, so I think the inquiries are about the value of your home, not not so much the dollar profit, the value of your, your home. So, well, I yeah. mean, a house can be worth $4 million, but unless it actually suits your lifestyle or exactly. you can have a tiny little shack or cottage and you can be the happiest you've ever been, because it yeah. suits your life. Most people in the little shack are the happiest, I find. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm actually lucky. I've got a little shack in Ballarat, a very old 1880s oh, um, miners' cottage. Cute. But I rent in the middle of Melbourne, so I've kind of got the best of both worlds. But i got to say, after all of this change in our lives, going to that little cottage and just peace and quiet, really simple, I haven't filled it with too much stuff because I'm a natural clutterer and hoarder, it actually is really amazing. So I think we all have, haven't we, sort of readjusted and realised we've got it pretty good for many of us. Yeah. Just having a nice, secure home is really quite a luxury compared to many people in the world. Please tell me there's an open fireplace. <laughs> no, it what? got bricked in. <laughs> oh, my God, what a crime. Okay, that is your project. But then I have to chop wood, Shana. I'm all in favour of an open fireplace, but then who's chopping the wood for me? You know what? I had an open fireplace in, in my first house and I had so much pleasure on chopping wood. You, you get it to a basic and you just cut the – you don't really need to chop much wood. You get the delivery <laughs> and then you just split it. So you split it and then you do your kindling and um, it's a good workout. Mm. Unfortunately, the rooms are so small that I think if I had a roaring fire on one side – it's only about two metres across. So. Right. Okay. That could be that could be an issue. <laughs> now, flooring. We are going to do a bit of a deep dive into flooring today, Shana. And you've got some people asking questions via your Instagram at Shana Blaze. Why is flooring so difficult for people to get their head around? Is it because there's just too much choice or because we have these preconceived ideas like me? I don't want to live anywhere without polished floorboards. And we kind of just make it all too confusing. 
you just hit the nail on the head. So, oh, so much about flooring, <laughs> you know, so much of, of it is, well, what's on trend? What, what, is, what is the best flooring? Because when I put my flooring down, it's got to last, you know, minimum 10 years. Hopefully I don't have to replace it again. Then people see something they love or they've actually had a flooring in the past that they've hated and that it just doesn't work. Um, but forgetting that technology has changed over time. And I think one of the biggest things also with flooring is that people go, I'm just going to do the one flooring all the way through and then it's really simple. And that may not always be the solution. And then some people go, okay, so we're going to have tiles in the entry. I want to do floorboards out the back and I'll have carpet in the bedrooms, but then I want to have vinyl here. So then it becomes too much. And what comes with flooring is every time you change a flooring, it's a line in the sand. Mm. So A join, literally a join. It's a join, but it's a visual <laughs> join too, so it makes the space feel smaller. Now, I've seen you on multiple episodes of Selling Houses Australia walk in and go, it all needs to be one floor. Does that potentially work better for smaller houses where you really don't want to sort of section things off? It's a must for smaller houses because what it is, you think of the size of the flooring, it is the size of your house. That is the absolute footprint. And a lot of times when you've got a small house, you have the lounge room and the kitchen sort of area, you might have four entry points. So you have all different doors coming in and the foot traffic is quite hectic. The last thing you need to have is the flooring lines being hectic and, you know, not do a perimeter around the lounge room. Also, there's something quite soothing and satisfying about seeing your flooring disappear into nowhere, down down a hallway. Oh, where does that go? It leads the eye, doesn't it? It yeah. so leads the yeah. eye and, and it does. It really... It draws a line in the room once you put a divider in it. but And that works the same for a really large open living room that sometimes you need a line in it because it just feels so vast that you don't feel comfortable in the space. Mm, where do you sort of sit with the minimalist philosophy then? Like I'm thinking of a very large room, large expanse of floor. Do you feel like maybe people sometimes overdo just wanting those huge expanses? I, I think we we have the luxury here in Australia to have bigger is better. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that's where people don't think about how they're going to live in the space. And so you get two things that you end up having what's called no man's land in the fact you have so much space that you end up congregating just a a little square in the room because you've got your couch, your chairs and, and your rug. That's all you use in the room and you've just got this dance floor so you might as well turn it into a dance floor and use it. <laughs> Bring on the disco ball. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the other part where people just put furniture in every corner of the room because they don't know how to fill it and they feel very uncomfortable um, having an empty space in an empty corner. And so getting the balance of large open spaces is about creating zones within one space and making them feel intimate within that space. It, it's not easy, I have to say. It's sometimes easier to decorate a small space than what it is a large space. Can you just sort of do the old, oh, lay the flooring and then we'll buy rugs later to create little zones? Like, does that work? Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. Like cre- creating zones is always about where you're going to eat, where you're going to sit. And we used to have a lot of uh, zones created around the dining table. So, you know, because people were going to spill things, they were going to make a mess. So where the dining table was, was a different flooring to where the actual lounge area was. But creating intimate spaces is zones and, and rugs is a really good way to do it. But you've got to think about, you know, if you're going to put a rug under a dining table, you've got to think about, one, is it going to put up with, you know, spills and it's going to put up with food 
and also how you move your chair in and out. You, you need to work out where the rug actually sits past the table uh, or whether it sits past the um, chair. So mm-hmm. that's a really tricky thing. You, you, you know, you get a rug, oh, that fits the size of the table, off we go. And then all of a sudden, every time you move the chair in mm. and out, it drives you. You can already hear <laughs> yes. it, can't you? Stop already scrunching the rug, kids. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, I'm just thinking about, you know, you're sort of talking about some of the changes over time, perhaps the focus on different rooms in the house. Where did you grow up? Like, what, what are your memories of your sort of house as a child? Was it the, the 70s carpet that I can remember? Or? Oh, my God. My dad bought this incredible carpet. We he did an extension out the back, and he, my dad loved color, lots of pattern, lots of color, and that's maybe that's why I'm a very black and white classic. <laughs> it there was never enough pattern or color, so you could you know I, I grew up in a house that is literally selling houses. Like you know probably that's why I know how to, to fix them because I lived in them. <laughs> <laughs> what suburb are we talking Melbourne here? Or? In Melbourne, yeah, yeah in okay. Melbourne. But we had this carpet out the back, and it was almost. Honestly, to tell you the truth, it was almost a Masoni in the fact it was lines and colours. And my dad was like, you know, it's going to cover all the dirt, all the mess. And it was just a a visual nightmare of colour. It was so full on. But then the rest of the house was, you know, all the... All the bedrooms in the hallway had the really daggy, daggy carpet. So that was ripped up and we had floorboards that were originally under there. So we had floorboards in that area. But there was no great uh, heating, cooling in the house. There was only like one fireplace in that room right out the back. So there was actually no heating or cooling in all the bedrooms and oh, a small lounge. Never used to be. I never had central never. heating until I was really well into adulthood. <laughs> exactly. Well, I only ever had it when it was in my own house. Yeah. And then the walls weren't insulated. We only had insulation in the room. Actually, no, we didn't even have insulation. I remember as, as like, a, you know, maybe 12 or 13, we got insulation. So it was freezing. It was absolute <laughs> freezing. So we had all these hard surfaces of floorboards in the kitchen there was lino and in the back area there was carpet and not only that all the surfaces were completely different and they Mm. were different colors different eras so nothing flowed there was no flow in young Shana's life (laughs) but that's the thing that's what they did you know in in the 60s 70s even 80s, is that you had a room and you treated that room as a singular. You probably only had, you know, the hallway was was the constant. But all the rest were sectioned off into their little rooms and you had different, you know, flooring for all of them. Mm. My parents built a house when I was about five and mum was forced to get the cheapest carpet the builder would provide. It was oh, brown with yuck. similar rainbow sort of colours. He said, you know, we'll get it now, can't afford it. A couple of years, don't worry, love, we're going to replace the whole thing. 20 years later, that was the hardest wearing carpet I have ever seen really? in my life. And I kind of almost miss it now. <laughs> I was thinking you were going to say it just had like, you know, no. threadbare in certain no. areas. So It lasted. <laughs> but that was good commercial carpet. Like, you yes. know, there, there are the ones that, you know, this is the cheap, this will get you through. And it only gets you through those four or five years because it's the traffic flow that really pulls down your carpet. So talk to me about that in terms of budget. I mean, obviously, you know, we've got listeners who might have a little bit to spend, some who have maybe a whole lot more to spend. Where does flooring factor in to your expenses? Is it kind of up there in the top five things, you know, along with your kitchen and any structural work you're going to do? Yeah, absolutely, because it is, again, the the footprint of the house. But it's also you look at, 
you know, what your mum was advised, well, we'll change it in a couple of years. <laughs> so it, it comes down to where you are in your timeline of how long you're going to be in the space and how long you want it to work for you. And then also do you want to just have, you know, this type of flooring while the kids are little and then you upgrade it when they get older. So you, you have the daggy, horrible flooring just to get us through this timeline and then you move it to the next. So you know what? You can pay an absolute bomb for your flooring or you can actually pay the cost effective. And sometimes doing the cost effective through the whole house isn't the way to go. Mm. Sometimes it might be a case if you do the cost effective to certain areas and spend that little bit more on the other areas. If you can't get the, the spend that little bit more in those areas, honestly, if it's concrete, just paint it and get over it. If it's masonite floor, paint it and get over it. And then just wait till you can get that good surface for there. Because one thing coming out of COVID, which I hope people will know, is that we want things to be built to last. So with your flooring, you know, starting at that that affordable level, we have vinyl plank and vinyl flooring. And the technology in that is so different. And a lot of people go, no, we've had vinyl before. We know it doesn't work. And I'm going, you know, it's not vinyl as you know it. Right. So, so it, it's manufactured differently. It's got a different feel. The old vinyl I ripped up at my house literally snapped. It was crunchy and very firm and stiff. Might so have had some asbestos in there. Now, this is the other thing I learned because mm. I was like, took a photo, put it on Instagram. Can't yeah. wait to rip up the carpets and polish. And then people started sending me messages saying, if your house is old, be very careful. Yeah. There is asbestos backing yeah. on old vinyl, is yeah, there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, they didn't, you know, it, it's like being, you know, told, told the dream of technology. No one knows the problems until it's been tested over 10, 20 years, unless it, you know, blows up at, at the time. Mm. Like we see with cladding, like all this cladding after two mm. years, buildings are going on fire. But with asbestos, it was, you know, the hail of the, the new material in a world that was looking at manufacturing, you know, plastics and, and things like that. So it, it's one of those things that anything that is before 1990 really check for asbestos, okay. in not just your walls but your flooring and also your eaves. It's so important. So that's a really good tip because, you know, we do, some of us like to just go yeah. gung-ho and get started. So I think it is a good reminder that getting a professional in, I mean, someone like you knows that. I had no idea. I didn't have a designer. <laughs> and why would you? Like, and that's the thing. Like, so many people say to me, "Oh, you know, I can't do what you do, and I'm, I'm, I'm failing, and all that sort of thing." And I go, "Well, that's my expertise. It, you know, don't, don't feel that you're failing, or don't feel that you're, you know, can't get it right because." That's not what your expertise, you know. I've been doing it since I was 16. Yeah, you so, wouldn't expect to walk into a professional kitchen and be able to cook a dish that you could serve to people, could you? Exactly, so. exactly. You've <laughs> got to learn the ropes and off you go. So, yeah, I, I think the affordability is what people look at for flooring but also the longevity. Mm. Now, I always hear you on uh, Selling Houses Australia mention engineered hardboards, am I right? Engineered floorboards? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so explain to people who aren't in the industry, what does that actually mean? Does it mean it's actually wood or does it mean it's not wood? <laughs> it's both. It's both. Oh. So you've got the, you, you think you've got your vinyl plank, which is what we were talking about, the hard wearing vinyl. And then you've got your real floorboards, which is natural timber. So you can, you can have pine, which is a soft timber. You can have hardwood, you can have walnut. There's all these different types of timbers, but they leave scratches and, you know, with, with your heels, you know, so many people, they'll lay a brand new floor and say, we're having a party, but no heels, here's the slippers. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. So the engineered floorboards came in in the fact that it actually is real timber, but it has like a resin, 
I don't know the actual quality, so don't have a go at me. I don't mm-hmm. know the material. But it has like a resin quality into it and it creates that firmness and that hard wearing that you can't get with just solid timber. Now, a lot of people do love solid timber and they love the pits and they love the softness. So, you know, there's an advantage for both of them. But engineered floorboards is the hail of, you know, timber in the fact it looks like timber, it's the grain, it's hard wearing, it's warm, it's soft in the fact that it softens a room and the ease of it going down. Mm. So you can lay it yourself if you want to. I always, with, with those expensive properties, unless I've done it, 10, 20 times, I just please don't lay it yourself unless you are so confident because it's not cheap Mm. and you've got to get the right underlay for it. You need to have that moisture barrier. Putting an acoustic underneath would be really good. So you've got to look at all those different elements of what you can do with your engineered timber. And like any sort of flooring, there's different variances of of quality and expense too. Mm. And what are your clients sort of requesting at the moment? I mean, is it something that you're seeing the polished concrete, which was a huge kind of craze for the last few years? Is that starting to ebb a bit or is that still right up there or are they asking for different things? I've got to say um, concrete, terrazzo and definitely engineered floorboards. They now, are terrazzo, the ones. just back up for that. Okay, so... <laughs> It can be real terrazzo or an idea of a terrazzo. So terrazzo is what you see in the 1920s, 30s and the 50s. And it is that that polished concrete, but it's got elements in it. So a lot of, a lot of the times we would look at polished concrete and do we have smooth or do we have a few sort of bits of gravel through it? That That's just polished concrete. Terrazzo is a different type of um, concrete and also it has real rocks in it. And yeah, it's polished got the flex, up. hasn't it? It's Absolutely. often pinky hues from the 20s, just beautiful. Yeah, so we've seen lots of tiles with the terrazzo, but we're actually seeing small sections of rooms and, and bathrooms with real terrazzo. So they'll, they'll be as tiles. Uh, I, I haven't seen anyone pour a real terrazzo floor at the moment, but a lot of tiles that you can do is pure terrazzo. There's terrazzo prints, but terrazzo is something that just you said it beautifully, just like, oh, it just makes you think about, you know, the 20s and 30s and it has a heritage to it. And it was a bit of a worry, I have to say, when the Gatwick was on, it was, you know, working in the Art Deco era that would terrazzo be a trend that would just blow up and then go away. But there's people are really embracing it in a different way in a modern environment and it's not going to turn around and say, oh, that's when everyone was renovating at that era. There's a longevity to terrazzo and anything that has a bit of a classic base to it comes around again. So it, it's terrazzo, concrete, and a lot of warmer concrete too because a lot of people are a little bit over the harsh greys, so different colours in concrete. Oh, can you actually sort of add pigments to it, can, can you? Do oh, whatever I'm, you want. I'm not on that trend yeah. yet. So, so yeah. I could ask you to oh, look. I'm sure people aren't doing green floors or are you saying sort of greys and just not that absolute dead set concrete colour. You can go green if you want. Really? It's all different elements. You could go blue, green, purple. It is pretty endless. But you need a master craftsman to get that right because you could say you wanted a green floor and you've ended up with a fluoro fluoro green pen. Once again, it's something please don't do yourself and it's quite specialised. But you can get all these different things. And I I think people aren't scared of being bold anymore. Like we were talking about people just want this one one surface to flow. People are being bold, and I I find that really exciting. Now, I've got a sister who's building in – well, they're just starting to to clear the block now. She wants polished concrete. She is absolutely paranoid the whole thing's going to crack. Do you have to be prepared that – 
especially if it's not a brand new house or it's a new build in, a, in an area where you're not quite sure of the, the subsoil structure, that things may change, may warp, may crack with, say, a concrete? Well, <laughs> it, it's a material that will. It's like it's not it's not a, a manufactured resin board that won't crack. Mm. It, it will crack, It, but you've got to make sure that you actually have all the, the joins in there. It's, it's got to have it expand and contract just like timber does. You've got to have those joins and it's got to be right. But also that the... If you're on a clay environment, it, it's going to crack mm. and, and it will go back and forth. But but you know what? Sometimes if, if she can get the polished concrete that has the flex in it, if it's a minimal minimal sort of hairline crack, that's fine. But, you know, the big hunk cracks is not going to happen mm. as long as you have the proper expansion joints. And that's where I turn around and say get the professionals with not just the the polished concrete people, but also the builders work together and what are the foundations of that build to avoid it as much as possible. You will get hairline cracks. That is just inevitable. So sometimes it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> now, each week on this podcast, which of course is Homestyle with Shana Blaze, thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne, that's Red Energy, we are taking listener questions and you can send them to Shana via her Instagram at Shana Blaze. Shana, I know you've been inundated <laughs> with some questions. Just a little bit. Over the last uh, week or so. So thank you everyone for listening, of course, and for sending in those questions. You do have the opportunity to ask one of the best in in the business, Shana Blaze, for a few hints or tips. Is there a question that strikes your fancy this week, Shana? Look, one I love and I get asked a lot in the fact that people are renovating old houses is what do I do with my slate floors? Oh, slate. Oh, <laughs> And I've got to say, I have worked with some horrendous slate <laughs> and some that you actually have to live with. And so there's the, there's the double-edged sword on that part is that sometimes it's just too much to replace it. Sometimes you can't cover it. So anything that's slate that's got that yellow-orange bit to it, no, 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 no. <laughs> Sometimes you get the blue slate that's almost like a blue stone that you can work with. And if it's really good quality, it, it's worth persevering if it, it suits the ear of the home. If you you know, if the slate's going to be in there, it's a house that's sort of 70s, 80s, not really 90s, it might be a little bit of early 90s, but it might work because the the way those houses were built and designed was very uniformed and, and very, you know, simple blocks that you can actually manipulate it to an incredible modernist type home. So if it's really good quality and it has that sort of grey-blue undertone, it might be something to actually go, you know what, let's just reseal it because they it's a natural stone, it needs to be resealed. The the grout is more like a concrete, so it, it's, you know, it really will take in stains. So mm. you've got to reseal it. So that might be a good option. And then that's your most cost-effective. Then you have the flip side of really only two other things that you can do. So you either jackhammer it up, start again, or you go over the top of it. So slate is kind of that, I described it as sort of knobbly and textured, not mm. like just a normal tile. So can you go over that even if it has quite a rough hewn surface? Well, that's the thing. So it's, it's more expensive to jackhammer it, but then you get an even base and start again. With an existing slate, there's so many elements about it is that, as you're saying, it's knobbly and it's not even. And I don't know about you, but have you stubbed your toe on slate floors? Uh, my mum had slate for years and cold, dark, unbelievable. And yes, uneven. You know what? I, I think kids under 20 don't really know about stubbing your toe. Stubbing your toe on your flooring, stubbing your toe on the concrete outside because everyone wore bare feet. Wore bare feet. 
walked out in bare feet. And it wasn't a summer unless you took the skin off your, your big toe, was yeah. it? Yeah, or the, or the little strip, the bra strip between the carpet oh. and the slate, and you're always going to knock a- And a few of those little nails were sticking up and, <laughs> yes. yeah, so, you know, little shoddy workmanship back in the 70s. Um, so then you've got the other part of, like, the expense of jackhammering it up getting rid of it, but then you've got this one flooring that you can actually work through. Then you've got the the slate, so you actually have to do a, what's called a float. So it's a very fine, almost concrete, but almost like a, you know, sort of... Almost yeah. like a scree for when you're doing Absolutely um, wet scree. areas, that it, it, it settles itself out. It, exactly. but Self-levelling it, Yeah, but it needs to be firm. It needs uh-huh. to be firm once it's done. So then you put down your new tiles, you put down your carpet, you put down your floorboards or you put down your vinyl. On top of that, to get the level, because it's all knobbly, it actually goes to the highest point in the room. Mm. So you could be adding with all the tiles that go on top of it and also the glue and everything in the floorboards, you could actually be adding an extra 30 mil to your floor base, which mm. means you're going to stub your toe even more. <laughs> <laughs> from room to room. So there's those things to look at. So sometimes it's biting the bullet mm. and working with a slate. Sometimes it's jackhammer. And, you know, you can do that yourself. It's a lot of work. It's dusty. And sometimes it's just not cost effective to to uh, jackhammer it out. I guess it's like all things DIY. You need to weigh up, you know, how much pain and suffering are we going to go through trying to do it ourselves when we could actually just call a professional who've probably done this every day for decades. Yeah. Really, you do have to weigh up that cost benefit, don't you? But it's also the same as going in and just knocking out a wall and then starting the project and going, oh. And that's what happens with, with floors. A lot of people go, oh, I'm just going to rip it up and off I go. And they rip it up and they go, oh, my God, if I knew it was going to cost that much to replace it, I wouldn't have done it. I would have worked with it. So weighing up the options um physically of how much work that you might have to do, weighing up the options of being cost effective, but also the mess. Like it could it could be a whole week out of your life to get that done. So there are so many things to, to, to weigh up on that. At which point you're going to go out and get takeaway every night, go out to our dinner, and you're probably going to spend more just by having to avoid your kitchen for a there week. There you go. As we always say, get out your pen, write down everything, then get out your red pen. <laughs> You know what? It's so old school, but it works because you really have to think about it. And a lot of people do these little spreadsheets and I'm just putting it out there, writing it and really sort of getting down to it as, you know, a deep dive is so different when you're hands-on compared to doing it on a spreadsheet. I compare the spreadsheet to when you get your credit card statement. You don't realise you've actually spent it and off you go. But if you Mm. actually physically got a piece of paper and a pen and you do the sums and you've got the quotes in front of you and you mark it and do it, you just go, wow. Mm. This is real. Great advice. And we hope we've given you some ideas about how to tackle your flooring choices. Before we let you go, Shana, are you back on the block? I mean, we know that it all got shut down when uh, COVID-19 lockdown hit. Are you back with the crew? Yeah, we're back. And it's wow. really exciting. <laughs> it's it's back to judging from this whole new world that, you know, social distancing and really trying to work out how the contestants are coping with it. And it's actually very hard as a judge because, you know, at the end of the week, we just have to judge what we see and we never know what goes on during the week. Right. So you don't get a brief from a producer saying, oh, you might want to watch out for this couple because they've really, really lost it with each other this week. Really? You don't get any behind the scenes There's nothing juicier than the producer 
watching our comments and we walk out and he goes, well, you might want to know. And it's like, <laughs> oh, thanks for that. So it, it, And I really like we don't know. Yeah. Because and that's why we we stay there so long and we look for the powerpoints and we look behind things and sometimes we do miss something and you know yeah okay I missed that I spent two hours in the room and didn't find that you got me <laughs> but I, but I think the great thing is coming out of COVID is that wait till you see what people are doing these scream home more than I have ever seen and it's it's like they got it when they had all this downtime working out, well, we're coming back to the block, we've got to do these rooms and they would have done a lot of research. Mm. But they didn't. Ha- they don't have access to everything and so it is quite, you know, uh, a lot smaller of what they can get and what they can do and the creativity and I think that's with anything that when you're pushed time-wise and when you're pushed financially that you have to get creative mm. and and that's what, I, what I'm loving, you know, seeing when we've just come back, like we're only just back, is that... The creativity is, as a collective, like you might get some contestants where two houses are incredibly creative and the others are just quite, you know, straight down the line and conservative, but they're all just pulling out every stop. And I'm really hoping, which we're only at the beginning, is that they now realise don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. And puts it in perspective. Puts it in perspective and hope they enjoy it and have so much fun because the pressure they're under to, to produce it. But... I just re- and I won't find out till the end, but I really hope they've come back feeling like we're going to have the best time ever. Mm. So yeah, I'm really excited, and I, I think what people really need to watch out for when it airs is the creativity and the sense of home and the sense of fun. It just you know I, I love a space when it puts a smile on my face, and we've got that. Are we going to see a ten thousand dollar gold bath <laughs> like last season? I haven't <laughs> seen one, but. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> the eye roll almost happened there, people. <laughs> You've been listening to Homestar with Shana Blaze. My name's Jane Nield and I have the pleasure of being with Shana in the studio to talk design each week. It is all thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne. That's Red Energy. If you would like to send Shana a question, you can send it via her Instagram, at Shana Blaze. She is getting inundated with messages, aren't you, Shana? I can't but- answer them all, but we'll save it for here and if, if you... Get your question read out. You know, there's a little gold star for you. Fantastic. We will try and get through some of those over the coming weeks on Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Thanks for listening to Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Thanks to Red Energy, born and bred in Melbourne with a customer solutions team based here. Switch to Red Energy today. If you love an insightful podcast, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. Real estate, cooking, parenting, home design, plus the sport of gardening with Dale Vine. I never thought I'd say it, Jane, but compost is on trend at the moment. It is uh, <laughs> it is as cool as a hairstyle by Dustin Martin, I can tell you. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.